Watchtower Society had all but guaranteed that the world would come to an end in 1975. We thought Armageddon was coming in 1975. I put all my hopes in it. I wanted to have children. Sold our home and built a kingdom hall, and there we intended to live out those few remaining years. They're knocking at your door. and answers with Christian author and speaker Pat Zuckerman. Today, we examine the cults. What is a cult? Why are they growing in number? How do you answer their false versions of scripture and the nature of God? Be ready to take notes as we'll hear Dr. Zuckerman before a live audience teaching on this crucial topic. And when you get a chance, check out the multitude of resources available at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's books, articles, and past shows are available on that very informative website. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism is at your fingertips to equip and educate you concerning life's great questions. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Go there today. Now let's go to Pat before a live audience as he teaches on the character of the cults. Uh, the thing to remember is, it's not if you will run into the kingdom of the cults. The question is when. The growth of the cults, and why are they growing? What is it that makes them successful? Well, first of all, it's part of the fulfillment of the prophetic warning given by Jesus and the apostles. You know, Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 24 that as we get closer to his return, there would be an increase and rise in false teachers and false teachings, right? If you look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 23 through 26, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I've told you ahead of time, as we get closer to the return of Christ, there'll be an increase in the kingdom of the cults. That's what we're seeing today. Second Peter chapter 2, remember that verse, there will be false teachers just, just as there will be amongst you. Many of them will be coming out of Christian churches. Second, why are the cults growing? It also has to do with the failure of the Christian church. My mentor in this area, his name was Dr. Peter Barnes, always stated, he said, cults are the unpaid bills of the church. One of the failures of the church, especially in America, is that they fail to provide solid and deep Bible and theology training. You know, one of the struggles that the church in America is having, and it may be similar in Korea and in the Philippines, but one of the struggles that the church has is that the church wants to attract people. They want this whole idea of success in America is what? Bodies, buildings, and budgets, right? You have a big church, you have nice buildings, you got a big budget, right? And a lot of pastors, therefore, to attract people, you want to preach sermons on sin? You know, you want to preach sermons on, without Christ, you're going to hell? You, know, you, I mean, you don't hear many of those sermons anymore. A lot of it is positive 
things, you know, trust in Christ and your problems will be resolved, or you'll have peace, you know, you'll have joy, you'll have a good marriage, you'll, whatever. To make the message attractive at the cost of deep Bible teaching and theology. So a lot of Christians don't get that deep Bible teaching, that deep theological teaching anymore. And so they're easily, easily deceived when a false teacher comes along. They're unable eh, to defend biblical teaching, and they're unable, therefore, to defend against those in the kingdom of the cults. And they easily fall prey to the false teachings and false leaders. For the cults are growing. That's a clear sign that the true church is weak in its Bible and theological teaching. And often we've, in the West, many churches are in danger of selling their soul to the gospel of success than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes, you know, in church, everyone wants to feel good when they leave church, right? Right, well, you know, if you look at the teachings of Jesus, sometimes people left not feeling that good, convicted of sin and stuff they knew they had to deal with and repent and turn from. Uh, Dr. Walter Martin says this, he says, the rise of the cults is directly proportional to the fluctuating emphasis which the church has placed on the teachings of biblical doctrine to Christian laymen. To be sure, few pastors, teachers, and evangelists defend adequately their beliefs, but most of them and most of the average Christian laymen are hard put to confront and refute a well-trained cultist of almost any variety. And that's true. You can send the guy to Bible college and three years of seminary and put him up against a two-week watchtower wonder. A guy that's been trained for two weeks in the Jehovah Witness organization. And the Jehovah Witness will twist that guy into a doctrinal pretzel so fast. It may take weeks ain't, to help bring that guy around. Hey, I've seen it before. As Christians, many of us hey, are ill-prepared to defend against uh, the teachings of those in the kingdom of the cults. Hey, the rise in the cults is often in proportion. It's a reflection on the kind of teaching we're having in the Church of Christ. Then we have the breakdown in family structure. Cults become the family. Cult leaders often take the place of a father figure and provide the kind of discipline and instruction that young men and women are looking for. And so those three reasons provide reasons why we have such a big growth in the kingdom of the cults. Then we have the danger of the cults. First, of course, there is the spiritual danger when it comes to the kingdom of the cults. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says this, that the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Ultimately behind false teaching, the force behind the counterfeit gospel is demonic. So there is a spiritual danger there. You know, the more you study these organizations, for example, Mormonism, the doctrine that men can become gods of their own planet with their wives and they'll have, be having sex for eternity, producing spirit babies. How does a rational guy really believe that? 
The Book of Mormon has no archaeological discoveries to back up its claims. I mean, it says they were cities spread throughout North America and South America, all over the place. The caliber of Egypt and Babylon, yet we have not found one shred of evidence of any of those cities in America or in South America. Open up a Book of Mormon. Look for a map of these cities. You're not going to find any. Yet, the Mormon church continues to grow. It's got millions of followers. How do we explain things like that? Ultimately, there's another force behind it. Then there is a psychological danger. Also, with a spiritual danger, remember Galatians chapter 1, a false gospel cannot bring salvation. A false message cannot bring eternal life. That's why Paul, in his warning in Galatians, so strong. He says, may these false teachers be condemned. One of the tragic things about those in the kingdom of the cults is that they will spend their lifetime serving the organization and they will end up eternally separated from God forever. They will end up in hell with a Bible in their hand. The scriptures are right there. Yet they were deceived and will spend eternity away from God. Then we have, second, the psychological danger. We have the mind-controlling aspect of an authoritarian leadership. And then to fulfill the demands of the organization to attain eternal life and right standing with God and escape judgment, there is a lot of pressure placed on individuals to meet those demands. So the suicide rate is very high in the kingdom of the cults. And finally, there is the physical danger. Many of the false teachings lead to dangerous lifestyles. Not only is the suicide rate high, but many of the false teachings lead to dangerous kinds of lifestyles. Now, Hobart Freeman, back in 1983, taught his followers to throw away all their medications. And they don't take medications anymore. Sicknesses of the mind, and so many of his followers died just from very simple, curable kinds of diseases. Well, the exhortation given to us by Christ and his apostles, they're numerous. You know. Jude 3, the apostle Jude writes, Dear friends, although I was very eager to share to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. They contend for the faith. The Greek word there is agonizomai. That's where you get agonized from. So he's telling you that word is used of men in athletic competition, okay, or also of men in mortal combat. Agonizomai. To agonize in the defense of the gospel. In other words, the ministry of the gospel involves very difficult work, agonizing work in the defense of the gospel. There's no shortcut. As leaders and future pastors, uh, it's hard work to study and know the Word of God and to be able to articulate it and bring a defense of the gospel in the arena that God is going to call you to. To bring a defense of the gospel in the world of business. You know, business ethics is huge now in the United States. How do we conduct an ethical business? Right? Is there, are there Christians that can bring the defense of the Christian ethic 
into the business world. How about the medical world, medical ethics, and this fast changing world of medical ethics? Are there going to be Christian men and women who can go into the medical field and bring a defense of Christian ethics into the medical field that present a Christian position on cloning and genetic engineering, technology and the environment. Uh, it's difficult work. We're called to bring a defense of the gospel as Jews says, contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. First Peter 3.15 But set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. But when you do this, do this with gentleness and respect. And in Acts chapter 20, when Paul was saying his final goodbye to the church, he warns them in verse 28, he says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Paul gives a warning to the leaders of the church and he says one of your duties is going to be to defend God's people from false teachers okay, who come in and going to present their destructive heresies. That's the biblical exhortation given to us. Witnessing to the cults, one of the things you're going to learn, the best way, best ways to know your Bible. If you know the truth, the counterfeit will never get you. The only way to combat error is with truth. To know the truth so well that when the counterfeit comes, you can identify it right away. Second, it helps to understand the mindset of a cultist. Jehovah Witnesses, if you're able to articulate a good defense, pretty soon they'll be calling you the devil. You know, anyone that opposes them is the devil, is of Satan. Many times that I've been speaking to Jehovah Witnesses, you know, they'll start shouting at me, Satan, the devil, and things like that, once they run out of arguments. Or Mormon. The goal of Mormonism is to sound like a Christian, get you to agree with them that they are Christians. They're going to agree with whatever you say. And you're going to have to understand, well, you need to expose what they really teach, confront them on what they really teach. And once you do, then they'll come clean. But until then, they're just going to try and agree with everything you say because they want to convince you that they are Christians. So it helps to understand the mindset of the particular cult group you're looking at. You want to come with the right spirit. First Peter 3.15, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with what? Gentleness and respect. There are some translations read reverence. Right? It's the same reverence we show unto the Lord. Try your best. Okay, number one is know the Bible. That's, that's the ultimate. These are also very helpful. But I mean, if you know your Bible, you pretty much, you pretty much got it. Okay? But number four, try to have a working knowledge of the particular group. Try to learn their arguments, what they're going to do, what things that they're going to say, some basics of their theology. Okay? Do the best you can. The internet is a great, great source to go to today, great information you can get. 
Here's some great internet sites here, probe.org. Watchman Fellowship. Watchman Fellowship specializes in the cults. That's a very outstanding website. They're also in Dallas, Texas. CARM.org, Christian Apologetics and Research Ministries. Equip.org, that's the website of the Bible Answer Man. Anchorberg.com, website of John Anchorberg. So those are some very outstanding websites that give you some great information on these cult groups. So do your best to try to get a general working knowledge of the particular group. Next, when you're talking to those in the kingdom of cults, try to establish some common ground rules. Often, for example, if you're sharing with a Jehovah Witness, you'll turn to a particular passage, right, and say, well, Titus 2.13 says, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, you know, they'll just look at you and they'll just say, well, what about John 14? What about John 16? What about John, yeah. And what a lot of Christians do, they fall into the trap. They go, oh, John 14, oh, whoa, well, John 14 say, oh, John 14. And once you answer that, what about John 16, what, John 16? What about Colossians 1.15? Oh, Colossians 1, you know, and next thing you know, they're all frustrated and they're like, oh, man, I, I didn't get anywhere with this guy, you know? So you want to establish some common rules, you know, once they start throwing all the scriptures out there or talking about the Christmas tree or whatever it may be, just say, okay, that's great, but let's, let's establish some common rules here. I'll share a verse and I'd like you to explain it. And once we're done, then you can give me a verse and I'll, I'll explain that verse to you. All right, you want to establish those kind of common rules. Otherwise, you know, they just jump all over the place and they'll get you all frustrated. So you want to establish some common ground rules. Often in, uh, when you're speaking with Jehovah Witness or Mormons, or there's maybe two or three of them, right? And once you start talking to one and he gets a little falling back on his heels, then the next one will jump in, the next one will jump in. Next, you're trying to answer three people. You, know, you say, whoa, you know, hang on. I'll answer you one at a time, okay? Now, I'm speaking to you right now. I'd like you to answer this particular passage, okay? So you want to establish some common ground rules. Don't be afraid to do that uh, when you're working with those in the kingdom of the cults. Focus on one topic. When you're there, you don't have to answer all their questions. All right, you know, I mean, once the Jehovah starts talking about uh, the Christmas tree or whatever, you know, the demonic Christmas tree and the, you know, whatever it may be, you say, well, maybe for another time. But for now, we're talking about Titus chapter 2, verse 13, or we're talking about John 1, 1 right now, or we're talking about Acts 5, you know, is the Holy Spirit a person? Let, let's stay on this one topic for now, and maybe next time when you come back, you know, we can talk about the particular topic you want to talk about. But for now, let's focus on this one topic here. Right? And when you're done, don't be afraid to say, okay, we're done. Think about it. If when you got an answer, come back next week. Maybe me want to try and bring up other issues, but you can say, well, that's fine. You know, come back next time and we'll talk about it. Alright? But try to focus on one topic. Make sure they define their terms very clearly. A Mormon will tell you, yeah, we're saved by grace through faith. First question you need to ask is what? What do you mean by that? We believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. First question I'd ask, what do you mean by that? Make them define their terms very clearly. Because one of the things we studied is moral deception. They will use Christian terms to try and disguise their teaching as being compatible with the Bible. Next, pray, persevere, and remember, rely on the Holy Spirit. 
They're not going to convert right there. Very few conversions happen in 10-15 minutes. Very few. Much of what you're doing is pre-evangelism. And you get them to ask a question and they'll say, Wow, that guy brought up a verse and I haven't seen it before. I'm going to talk to my elder. I go talk to their elder and their elder may say, Well, you know, don't, don't go back to him anymore. Or the elder may give him some kind of strange explanation and he'll be, Wait a minute, that's, that's not what the passage says, you know. What you want to do is you just want them just to start asking questions. Start getting them to read the Bible. If you've done that, you've been a success. It may take years for them to come out of the kingdom of the cults. But you want to pray, you want to persevere, and rely on the Holy Spirit. And finally, be patient. You're not there to convert anyone, even in evangelism, right? That's not your job to convert people. That's, that's God's business. Your job is to what? Plant the seed and let God's Word and the Holy Spirit go to work. Remember in cults, they're told not to ask questions. You want them to start asking questions, right? Wow, hey, this guy talked about that we're saved by grace, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I've been taught this. Huh, let me see. And once you get them to start asking questions, they're on the road to studying the Bible. That's what you want. You want them to get to start asking questions and studying the Bible. If you've done that, you've done your job. Get them into the Word of God. The vast majority of people who come out of the kingdom of cults, why did they come out? Well, they actually started reading the Bible. You know, always be in prayer okay, for those who you are witnessing to. And don't give up. Hey, don't give up. It's a big, big decision for them to come out of the kingdom of the cults. And hopefully, I pray that you will see the fruits of your labor someday. You know, let me end this seminar with this story. Man came to me, Stephen, came to the Bible study all by himself and came and he said, Well, I came because, you know, I heard your teaching and my wife's a Jehovah Witness, my mother-in-law we live with is a Jehovah Witness, my two daughters are Jehovah Witnesses, everyone in my family, all my in-laws, everyone's a Jehovah Witness, so I want to learn how to share with them. I said, oh, all right. So we went through Bible study together and uh, his old, he has two daughters, his oldest one, finally said, you know, my oldest daughter, I've shared with her these verses, she wants to uh, meet with you. She'll be willing to meet with you, as long as she can bring her elder along with her. So I said, okay. So we met at McDonald's, and her, the woman over her came, and I actually knew the older woman. We sat down, and I said, well, you know, one of the things that I was sharing with Stephanie here is a couple of passages on the Bible, and the lady refused to open up her Bible. And she just called me the devil, and that I've committed spiritual fornication, and all these kinds of things. And after about, you know, 45 minutes, again, just yelled at and scolded by this lady, she got up and said, Stephanie, let's go. You know, and Stephanie kind of looked at me, and she got up, and they left. And I thought, man, I wasted my whole afternoon. Got nowhere with this girl and with this lady. Man, you know, and I was really discouraged. A year later, you know, I went to graduate school at Dallas, and then I came back one year later, and it was my Christmas break. Stephen called me, and he said, hey, Pat, can we get together for dinner? So I said, sure. So I went to dinner with Stephen, and uh, there with Stephen was his oldest daughter, Stephanie. So I said, hey, Stephanie, and she said, Pat, I want to tell you something. After that meeting, I went home, and I started wondering why she wouldn't open the Bible why she refused to talk about the Bible with you. And so I started reading the Bible, and I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So she 
now attending church with her dad. So then I went back to graduate school, and a year later I came back, and Stephen called me again and said, Pat, can I get together at dinner with you? I said, sure. So Stephanie came, and Serena, his younger daughter, came. And so I talked with Serena, and Serena said, you know, my, my dad and my sister Charmaine, and I came to know Christ as my Lord and Savior. So then I went back to the seminary, came back for Christmas break. Next time, Stephen called me and said, hey, can I meet with you? I said, sure. Well, this time his, he brought his wife to dinner. And she, through the witness of Stephen and her two daughters, came to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And I went back, said, I came back again. Stephen calls, he goes, can we meet again? I said, sure. His brother-in-law came this time. His brother-in-law had come to Christ uh, as a result of sharing of Stephen's wife and his family. So the entire family and more came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, this is over a what? Eight, ten-year period okay, that this took place. So it's not going to happen overnight, but as you share in the power of the Holy Spirit, as you pray, as you persevere, as you get them to think and as you get them to question, okay, the Holy Spirit begins to work upon their hearts. And hopefully, okay, you will someday okay, see the fruit of your labor, and I hope that you will see many come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Thanks, Pat. We appreciate you being with us today. By the way, there are two parts to this program, so be sure that you listen to both, and they're available for download at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. If you think a show like Evidence and Answers should be on the air, a show that explores today's worldviews and gives reasons for faith in Christ, then help us keep it happening. Whenever you download or order our resources, you not only equip yourself, but you help provide us a way to rock the culture with some good news. That's evidenceandanswers.org. God bless and see you next time on Evidence and Answers.